Hey, I'm Jesse. Let's have a devotion. We're seeing the story of the rich young ruler unfold. He's given the invitation, but he walks away sad. He's unable to do what Jesus asked him to do, to sell everything he had and give it to the poor, have treasure in the kingdom of heaven, and then follow him. Here's what follows next, verse 23. Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were utterly astonished and asked, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter responded to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. So what will there be for us? Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, in the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields because of my name will receive a hundred times more and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. This is epic. So this rich young ruler has just prompted this teaching. He's unwilling to surrender what is Lord in his life. He's getting the invitation to be the 13th disciple, but instead what he gave us is this profound teaching. It's harder for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven because our trust is in our things and in our stuff, especially if we're self-made wealthy people. It's hard because we look at ourselves. I've seen this. There's a delusion that comes with wealth, the belief that everybody in the world is all trying to get as rich as possible, but you're rich, it makes you feel superior to others. What you what utterly discount then is the view that actually some people just are following higher callings on their lives. They're not all trying to become rich and failing where you succeeded. When the disciples heard this, they were utterly astonished and asked, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. When a wealthy person is saved, it is a miracle of God. It wasn't because that rich billionaire sat down and employed her razor sharp intellect and came to the conclusion that Jesus is Lord, right? Using her business acumen, she deciphered salvation for the soul. No. The Holy Spirit of God drew upon her heart. She confessed her sin and was saved. She will be the first to tell you is a miracle. I became broken over my sin. I saw my deep need. You see how hard that is for a rich person to confess a deep need? My deep need for a savior. Wow. With wealth comes arrogance oftentimes, and that arrogance can blind us. With wealth comes comfort, and that comfort can blind us to our need. But man, when the wealthy are saved, they'll be the first to tell you it's a miracle of God. It's a miracle of God. With God, all things are possible. Then Peter responded to him, see, we've left everything and followed you. So what will there be for us? It's funny. This is another, it's kind of a selfish question. It's a bit of a boneheaded question, but the response is, is not, uh, the response is not like a bop on the back of the head. The response is actually really amazing. Like, look, I tell you in the renewal of all, of all things, when the son of man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me, you're also going to sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. 
In our sermon this past weekend, we saw the number 12 thematically from Genesis to Revelation, how that's a deliberate number. Here it is, the 12 disciples will judge the 12 tribes. Congrats, Matthias. This is amazing because they're currently under judgment, right? The leadership of Israel looks looks with great condescension upon Peter, for example, who just asked this question, but it is Peter who would sit on a heaven-appointed throne adjudicating one of the tribes of Israel himself. And then it speaks to those who have made sacrifices for the cause of God's calling on your life. Right? If you've been called to be a missionary, to move away from your parents, from your siblings, right? if you, because of the calling of God on your life, have been estranged from even your own children or from your parents, and you followed Jesus anyway, Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sister or father or mother or children or fields because of my name will receive a hundred times more and will inherit eternal life. There is an immense reward for taking up our crosses, denying ourselves and following Jesus. But it doesn't look like that here on the earth. This is the very final sentence, verse 30, but many who are first will be last. They may look like they're in the lead right now, but guess what? In the kingdom of heaven, what they're pursuing is meaningless. It's going to be judged and extinguished by fire, and then those who are last will be first. Think of John the Baptist. I mean, degraded, disregarded, and decapitated for crying out loud, and yet he's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The paradigm completely shifts. Are you looking at the world upside down? Is your wealth your savior? Is there anything that with God's request, you would deny him? Whatever it is you would withhold upon God's request is actually Lord in your life. It's idolatry. Would you set your eyes to the heavenly horizon and place your hope where moth and rust do not destroy, thieves do not break in and steal? It's nothing short of a miracle when a rich person gets saved. And that's what we're asking for in revival in Seattle.